Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers is on a mission to reinvent your medicine cabinet with clean remedies that actually work. You and your family deserve to feel your best all day, every day, which is why Beekeepers Naturals creates clean, science-backed remedies that naturally support your daily health. P.S. This is like the best time ever for me to have them as a sponsor because I am actually sick. So I am using their Bee Soothed Cough Syrup, which could not have arrived at my doorstep at a better moment um, and is amazing. And it's a truly clean cough syrup, which makes me feel so much better. It has no drugs, dyes, dirty chemicals, refined sugars, and it tastes good, which is great. I mean, I can suck it up for anything, but it happens to taste really good. a sort of a light, sweet, natural berry flavor um, and has already made my throat feel better. I also love the throat spray that they have called Propolis Throat Spray, um, sort of a daily defender um, promoting immune health and helping scratchy throats, which I have. And then there's even Bee Powered Honey, which is great, and I've been putting it in my tea today. So thank you to Beekeepers Natural. I even have my own URL, so go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash no time. That's beekeepersnaturals.com dot com slash no time and the promo code to enter is no time and o t i m e so go check it out and i'm excited to expose you to this great brand Chelsea Clinton is the author of the number one New York Times bestselling picture book, She Persisted, 13 American Women Who Changed the World, which was praised in a starred review by Publishers Weekly as a lovely, moving work of children's literature and a polished introduction to a diverse and accomplished group of women. She is also the author of Grandma's Gardens, co-written with Hillary Rodham Clinton, her mother, as well as the New York Times bestsellers She Persisted in Sports, American Olympians Who Changed the Game, Don't Let Them Disappear, 12 Endangered Species across the globe. Start now. You can make a difference. She persisted around the world, 13 women who changed history. It's your world. Get informed, get inspired, and get going. The Book of Gutsy Women, Favorite Stories of Courage and Resilience, co-written with Hillary Rodham Clinton, and Governing Global Health, Who Runs the World and Why, co-written with Debbie Sridhar. Chelsea Clinton is the vice chair of the Clinton Foundation, where she works on many initiatives, including those that help to empower the next generation of leaders. She lives in New York City with her husband, Mark, their children, and their dog, Soren. You can follow her on Twitter, at Chelsea Clinton, or on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Chelsea Clinton. Welcome, Chelsea. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much, Zibby, for having me. Of course. It's my pleasure. You do so much stuff. And I want to talk first about your amazing children's books and your new, more middle grade, not even middle grade, slightly older kid version of your books. Why did you start writing children's books to begin with? So I, I wrote first for kind of older kids. And then when I became a parent and so had like very little kids in my life, 
you know, I just was consuming like so many kids books and realized still how overwhelmingly male kids books tend to be. I mean, that we kind of have male gendered animals even often more frequently that, you know, you'll have frogs named Sam or ducks named Peter. And just both as a a mom of a a daughter and then a son, and now we have a, a third son, I just wanted there to be more books centered on centered on girls and women, kind of written by female authors for my daughter and also for my son. And so, you know, I just see now as to be like how, how powerful this is where like, you know, my son Aiden, who's four, his favorite book is Counting on Catherine. He thinks Catherine Johnson was the smartest person ever because she skipped three grades and worked at NASA. And so, you know, while I certainly kind of thought, oh my gosh, we, we need more, more books about women, celebrating women, written by women for our daughters and our sons, I now see like, you know, just in in the little world of my family, how powerful that really is and and why that is so true. I love that. I heard you interviewed on with Sarah Gelman of Amazon Books and she was on my podcast too. And you were saying that not only are you excited for one of your kids to be imitating Simone Biles, who was in your most recent book, She Persisted in Sports, which is awesome. But that your son was also sort of emulating the behavior of one of the women athletes. And how awesome was that? I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. It is very sweet though. I, I do get a real kick, I have to say, out of my daughter, Charlotte, who's six, who, you know, is tumbling around just at home now, because obviously like she's not going to gymnastics classes any longer in this pandemic moment. And I think it's hard for like little kids to do gymnastics on Zoom. So like truly God bless her PE teacher who I hear like exhorting her to like do jumping jacks. And I hear the thumping, thumping, thumping of the jumping jacks or the kind of shimmying in place. And that she still gets a lot of thankfully like physical activity kind of through through school. But I think like gymnastics would be hard. So and since she can't go to gymnastics classes and I certainly am not uh, have no skills in that area. I'm um, like, you know, she'll still like, still like put on her little like Simone Biles, leotards and like tumble around and be like, just like Simone. And I'm like, we're, you got to start somewhere. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I have two girls who both love gymnastics and we have gone to like the middle of New Jersey to watch some, you know, pre-Olympic something or other. And we have some mobile stuff everywhere. So yes, I get it, especially in the Zoom life. We tried a lot of gymnastics on Zoom and I was like, this is no, this, someone's like going to get hurt at this point. <laughs> yeah. I do though really have so much respect, admiration, awe for the teachers who are really able to engage, especially our youngest learners and to help them still feel connected to to their classmates and to their class and to the material that they're learning, whether that is, you know, working on handwriting because my daughter's in kindergarten or learning about a historical figure or learning a song or, you know, they did like yoga earlier this week. And I loved hearing like, you know, you could hear because all the kids, I think, forget to mute their screens, like all the kids stumbling and fumbling <laughs> like through the different poses. I'm incredibly grateful and also aware of how deeply privileged we are that our kids have reliable internet access and can have their own screens to be able to have this experience and how, unfortunately, that isn't true for so many kids in our country. Very true. And I completely agree with you, especially as I watch like, a PE teacher emulate, you know, trying to like swim as he's going across the screen. I'm like, this guy in his apartment, like, that's amazing. Thank you. That's, you know, no embarrassment, just all, all oh. in. The kids love it. But yes, we should do a support group for moms of kindergartners on in Zoom school because it is no, <laughs> not the most fun. But anyway, hopefully we'll be near the end of this 
soon, God willing. Well, back to She Persisted in Sports even, just to talk about for a minute. I love how, so in this book, as in all your She Persisted books, you have different profiles of this time athletes and different powerful quotes. And this one was one of my favorite from Jean Driscoll. A champion is someone who has fallen off the horse a dozen times and gotten back on the horse a dozen times. Successful people never give up. And I feel like this is so fundamental to your whole message of she persisted. And in every page saying again, she persisted, she persisted. What is it about reminding people how important it is to persist that is particularly meaningful to you? Why is this the message that you want to hammer home, especially for young readers? I think that persistence is is so central to our ability to really do anything in life that hopefully can give us as meaning. So whether that is learning a new skill, I mean, I watch my daughter now as she's like struggling to learn how to write her lowercase letters and she needs to have persistence to to learn to do that. Or, you know, whether I think about in my own writing, when I hit a writing block and I just have to keep, I force myself to keep writing because even if kind of what I'm writing, you know, Zibby isn't great today, I know that I'm far more likely to be productive tomorrow because I didn't give up today. And so for me, I really, I make myself write every day. And sometimes it's, it's writing about my kids and sometimes it's kind of more academic writing. And sometimes it's like the idea for my next kid's book, but it truly for me has to be that routine. And kind of, I think we can practice persistence. I think that kind of the more that we persist, the more we don't give up, the less likely we are to give up in the future. And I think that is just such a fundamental life skill for all of us. And hopefully helps give us then the courage, the bravery to, to try new things because we know that we're going to have the, the grit and the fortitude to push through whether we're, we're good at them or not, candidly, and also hopefully to kind of in, enjoy the, the journey. So I just, I think, I think persistence is one of the most important um, aspects of life. And certainly now as a parent, you know, I'm trying to help model persistence for my kids, encourage them to persist admittedly, because I am their parent. Sometimes I can force them to persist <laughs> because I want them to build, uh, to build that muscle of persistence. Cause I think kind of what Jean Driscoll said is so true. You know, I think about my grandmother, my mom's mom who had this adage that life's not about what happens to you. It's about what you do with what happens to you. You know, how you do kind of just, just keep going kind of over, under, around, through whatever challenges may come. I love that. I mean, it's really the only choice sometimes, right? And let's go back to the fact that you said you write every day, which is super impressive, especially given the kids and all the other things you do. I mean, sometimes it's like only a couple sentences and I'm like, oh my God, it's like the end of the day. I need to write something. But for me, it's important. And I know like every every writer has has different approaches that, that work for them. I mean, I know some people like religiously get up early and like they have to write early in the day. I have a friend who like only writes after his kids go to bed. And I've said to him, like, if like someone's sick and like you're up to like 11 or 12, he's like, no, he's like, I make myself write every night. But like after the kids go to bed, it doesn't matter how late it is. I don't have that same kind of adherence to like this time in my day, but I do, I make myself write every day. And and sometimes it really is just about my kids, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, like Aiden did something funny today or Jasper, who's our baby, like learned a new word. Like he learned apple yesterday. So yes. And he was so excited. Just kept like pointing at the kitchen, like, you know, our fruit bowl being like, apple, apple. Like, he's like, I said it. Right. And so really that's what I wrote about last night. It sounds like maybe there's some sort of 
memoir you have potential notes for. Would you ever, would you think of doing a memoir? I I think it's not anything I've thought about. I've been asked this before, but it's never anything I've given kind of mental or emotional space to. I think, you know, way in the future, if I thought kind of my life story could be more than just interesting, right? If it could be useful to someone, to a young reader somewhere, I would think about it, but not now. Well, I think almost everybody has something useful for somebody else to share from their life story. It just, I feel like opening yourself up to making those connections, you don't have to have had anything truly outrageous happen in your life, but just the ability, again, going back to persistence of, you know, I love reading memoirs of people who got through anything, right? Whether it's a child's illness or an eating disorder or addiction or a horrible, you know, tropical, I don't know, some event, tsunami, I don't know. It's no, so that's inspiring. True. I mean, so I, I read Doyle's book, yeah. which I thought was like so beautifully written, certainly, and also so powerful. So yes, I do think that is a good reminder that we certainly all do have something to share. Exactly. So tell me about the decision to then increase your series of the She Persisted books and to expand it to slightly older kids and the Harriet Tubman book, which you wrote with Andrea Davis Pickney, who was also on this podcast. So there you go. Oh my gosh. I love her. I mean, she wrote the book. I only kind of had the privilege and the pleasure of of helping to edit it. And, you know, really this grew out of just kind of continued questions from, from young readers, from kids themselves, from, from their, their parents, kind of where they could go to learn more about these women. And, you know, especially the, the women in the first book, the 13 women in the first book have meant so much to me in my life. I mean, I, I grew up with some of these women insofar as my mother and my grandmother, you know, sharing their stories or kind of teachers sharing their stories. And I just feel like they sort of like nested into, into my heart. And so when we kept being asked, like, where could readers go? You know, thankfully, my wonderful editor, Jill Santapolo, and I decided like we would provide them a place to go. And, you know, take the the 13 women in the in the first stories and and or the first book and really like flesh flesh their stories out and I'm so thankful to the 13 amazing women authors who really have have done that and I'm excited to see my daughter now who is I started reading the Harriet Tubman book to her a few days ago and she just said she's like mom I can read it and so you know last night I guess she's in bed and she's like reading the Harriet Tubman book it was just made my heart so so proud and happy and I'm excited for her and as Aiden my four-year-old's like reading skills develop <laughs> you know for for them to read these books and later for their little brother Jasper to do the same no pressure on the early reading it comes when it comes <laughs> <laughs> he's totally fine he's like he thankfully feel any pressure he is like very fundamentally his own person in a really fantastic and often hilarious way where I look at him and I'm like, how did I help create you? Like you're so curious in like such wonderful ways and your curiosity is taking you in like so many fantastic directions. And I can't wait feel this way about all my kids. Can't wait to be along for the ride. Yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way. I feel like the more kids I have, the more I'm like, I have nothing to do with who you are. You have just appeared fully formed and I am just here to usher you along. But like you have these 16 different qualities that I don't know where they came from, but they're pretty awesome. And I'm just, I'm just going to sit back and and relax and watch you become yourself. (laughs) Totally. My son, Jasper, who's one just like never stops, like never stops moving, like gets up in the morning, moves, takes a nap, gets up from his nap, moves, takes another nap, gets up from his nap, moves, like goes to bed. And I think now to your just recognition to be of like having more kids, 
like, oh, like your siblings didn't do that. Like, I mean, they were active, thankfully, when they were toddlers, but they also would like sit and stare out the window or, you know, bang on things. And he just like never stops moving. And it's such a, I know, small thing, but just such a clear mark of like, oh, like you're already your own person. Yeah. And that is probably not going to stop as he gets older. I had one kid like that and still moving all the time. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I feel like I could just chat with you about like having kids and New York and schools and Zoom and books and all this stuff. And yet you've had like an overlay of this unique experience that I certainly haven't had. And a lot of people have not, most people have not had of being so in the public eye from a very young age. I just wanted to know, especially with, I feel like with parenthood and feeling judged perhaps by others, right? Like I'm on the street and I lose it with one of my kids. I'm like, oh no, like I hope nobody saw me like just scream at her for doing X, Y, Z. Like what it's like to feel that added layer that maybe people actually are watching you as opposed to my thinking that they are and probably could not care less. You know, I, I think simply in some ways, because I've never known, I've never known what it's like to not be in the public eye. I definitely have had experiences where I have felt in wonderful ways, like more anonymous. And yet I've always known that, you know, people could be watching me. And I certainly, at least before, like we were all walking around in masks. Although I sometimes do get recognized even in a mask, which I'm like, wow, like you have really good eyesight. (laughs) You, especially like when it's really cold in New York and I'm like wearing a hat and a mask and people are like, are Chelsea? And I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> Amazing. But I think because, you know, I just have, have never really known when it's not, you know, what it's like to not be, you know, potentially scrutinized. I, I've never really wrestled with that. I, I will say something that surprised me when I was pregnant with Charlotte, I had the experience of uh, people coming up and like offering me advice in a way that I had never really had before. So I had you know, I've grown up with and I had been an adult with people coming up and offering me opinions about things one of my parents had said or done or something I had said or done or something they thought that we may have said or done that we never did. And a range of emotions and things kind of said and shared, generally positive and often if negative, like super negative. But I had never, I had never really experienced like being on the receiving end of just a lot of advice and, and people would recognize me like standing in line and doing read or in the subway or like walking in our local park or on a weekend, like having coffee with a friend and people just come up and like, be like, Oh, Chelsea, like, you know, I hope you're considering this when you're like giving birth or like, <laughs> here's like some things you may want to think about. And like, most of it was lovely, but just that was a new experience for me. And then I did have the experience of a few people coming up to me and saying like, you know, please don't vaccinate your child. And I would say like, Oh, I will be vaccinating my child. Like they will get, be in the hospital and they'll stay on schedule thereafter. And, you know, it was really my first kind of personal interaction with the anti-vaccine movement, which unfortunately has gotten only stronger over COVID. So that was kind of a rambling answer and reflection to your question, Zibby, of I didn't ever think like, oh my gosh, what if someone's watching? Because I think it's just so ingrained to me to think like, oh, someone could be watching. But the advice part was a new dynamic to, to navigate. And thankfully, most people were really offering quite like like positive kind of pieces of advice from their own experiences of, of parenthood. 
Yeah, I feel like pregnancy opens you up to anybody's advice, strangers or not, whether or not you're a public figure. I feel like people putting their hands on your belly and telling you what they should do, everybody feels like it's an open invitation. So I can only imagine the compounding factor of, of people feeling like they know you and then actually sharing. Crazy. So when you read, and I see like a trillion books behind you, as we were chatting about before, organized in a lovely or, you know, perfectly symmetrical way, as opposed to the piles of mine falling behind me. What types of books do you like to read? And as a mom, do you have time to read? How do you find the time? Well, it's so, it's like such a timely question in some ways, Zibi, because my husband and I, you know, we are working from home, like so many of us. And again, like recognize that it is a privilege to be able to work from home. And we, we took the week off between Christmas and, and New Year's just to really like be with our kids, like disconnect from the world. And we realized we had these like truly columned high of magazines of basically like The Economist, The New Yorker, and National Geographic. And I was like, this is so strange. I'm like, we have these like big piles. And then I realized it's because we don't go anywhere. (laughs) And we used to read these magazines like on the subway, in a car, on an airplane. And like, we don't do any of that right now. And so I was like, why do we have basically like a year's worth of all of these magazines? And, you know, we got through... A, just a tiny fraction of of even like what we wanted to read from them over that week. And so we just then were thinking about like, oh, wow, like what what and how we've read has really changed so much over over this past year. Thankfully, I don't think that's true with our kids. Like we have always read a lot with our kids. We've always read kind of this like sacred time of like reading with our kids before bed. We read a lot with our kids on the weekends, it's so fun now that our kid, my daughter's obsessed with sharks. She's been obsessed with sharks for years. We have read so much about sharks. And my son Aiden like loves numbers, like loves math, loves stories about mathematicians and the discovery of math and kind of anything that, well, I guess arguably everything has math underlying it, but like, you know, things that more obviously have math kind of underlying it, like, you know, the discovery of different planets or things in the solar system. And so it is true that so much of our free time while our kids are awake is reading time with our kids. And then, you know, for, for me, like for, for pleasure, I love reading. I love reading history. I also love detective books, especially in the last four years. I really, I like books admittedly where like the bad guy is caught and the mystery is solved and there are consequences for evil. So I've read like, I've always liked a good detective story, but I have read far more mysteries probably in the last kind of four or five years because of everything else happening in the world that I would have read probably otherwise uh, in total candor. So that's a little bit of what we like to read. And then I always, I try to read my friend's books. So like my friend, Sarah Lewis, she's a professor at Harvard, has a new book coming out on Carrie Mae Weems, the amazing kind of American artist. So I think that's an important third category too. Like, you know, not just supporting my friends, but like wanting to know more about their work and like how they've spent time over often like the years that they've spent, you know, working on their books. That is so interesting about the mysteries and the root of, <laughs> it's like aspirational reading or something. You know? it, it, it's like, it's definitely, I mean, I have far too much respect for what actually happens in therapy to say that it's therapy, but it has some real, I think, 
therapeutic effect for me of like, oh, like there's a beginning, middle and end, at least in the mysteries I read, like they, they don't, they're not open-ended. The bad guy's caught. I really like reading books, admittedly, with like what women detectives. So often it's like the woman catching the bad guy or the bad gal. And yeah, yeah, it's great to live in that world for the few hours that I do. Amazing. I almost never read detective stories. And now I'm going to like think twice about that. Correct. Like, let me know. Like, I have so many detective stories and series. I love series, I have to say. I love like the development of characters over over many, many mm-hmm. books. And I will say I also really, I do like when kind of my love of history and my love of detectives sort of like converge with kind of historical detective series. But now I've like prattled on too much about this. No, that's okay. Actually. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. What advice would you have to aspiring authors? Right. I mean, truly, you know, I've now been really lucky enough to like do some writing workshops with especially like younger, younger writers and, you know, kids who want to write for other kids. And I know this may sound obvious and it may not sound particularly useful, at least for me, though, it really is like the practice of writing. I often, I mean, I spend a lot of time editing. I mean, I spend so much time editing, even like my She Persisted books to try to get those like two or three sentences right. But I, especially for the first She Persisted, you know, I wrote like a page or two for each woman. And then I would really work hard to get done to a paragraph. And then the paragraph is still too long and to kind of just further condense. And I think some people may just spend a lot of time like thinking about and spend, you know, maybe days trying to think about those perfect sentences and the work goes on in their heads. But for me, the work really goes on in the connective process of like from my head to the page, back to my head, to the page, back to my head, to the page. And so I just think the best advice that I can give is is just to write. Yeah. I feel like anytime you condense and have to go to a shorter word count, it always improves. You know, I mean, like it's it never gets worse cutting things down. <laughs> I'm a great artist, right? If I had had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and any any genre. Chelsea, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for this totally candid, fun conversation. I feel like I just like had coffee with a girlfriend or something. And I hope our paths cross again. This is great. Me too. Thanks so much to be for having me on. All right. Thanks. Take care. Sure. Bye bye. Thanks so much to Beekeepers Naturals for helping me through a sick day with the amazing cough syrup and um, cough spray, throat spray that you have. And thanks for helping all my listeners. Beekeepersnaturals.com slash no time, promo code no time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 